Welcome and thank you for joining us on Real Insider News, where you get behind-the-scene updates directly from the people behind the film and TV production industry. I'm Brandon Hamill. And I'm Jeff Hamill. Today, we're going to report on some industry professionals who have passed recently. We will touch base on the state of Tenet's release, some drama with Ellen, how NBC Universal and AMC are planning to stay afloat, and a new drama coming to HBO. Then we're going to interview our first producer, Scott Gregory, about working on the first union gig in Massachusetts since the shutdown. Stay tuned. Today's news segment is brought to you by ATM Services of Massachusetts, providing your customers access to cash that will increase impulse spending in cash purchases. Save your business from those hefty credit card fees with your own ATM. For more info, call or text Nick at 978-877-9801 or email nick.atmservices at gmail.com. Hey, Brandon, why don't you tell us what's going on with the news? Well, to start, as we always want to start with the bad news first, with a heavy heart, we announce that Olivia D. Haviland has passed on July 26, 2020. She was the last remaining cast member of the American classic Gone with the Wind, which still reigns as the highest-grossing film of all time when adjusted for inflation. We are happy to announce that she died of natural causes in her home in Paris at the hearty age of 104. You know, it's always sad to see a star pass, but at least we get to know that she wasn't apparently in distress. She died in her home, and uh, with that goes the entire cast of one of the, if not the most important, American film of of the 20th century. However, that was not her first. Uh, she no, was, she actually starred um, aside Errol Flynn in Cap- several is, films. Is Captain Blood, the swashbucklers such as Captain Blood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, yep. and with Melanie Hamilton, it was what we're talking about now, Gone with the Wind. Now, of, um, of course, that is probably the apex of her career, since anybody who touched that film would be forever remembered, remembered as their part in the film. But, yeah, her, the rest of her career cannot be disregarded. She really was around for a large amount of the golden era of Hollywood. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, oh, sorry, what are you saying? Go ahead. And in other news, <clears throat> while this comes a bit late, we didn't, want to, we didn't want it to slip by our radar. With another heartbreaking piece of news, Mythbusters and the White Rabbit Project's Grant Imahara has passed on Monday, July 13th. He suffered a brain aneurysm at the age of 49. Now, I don't know about you, but Mythbusters was, obviously it wasn't a part of your childhood, but it was a large part of mine, and it was one of my favorite television shows. I I always found the antics that Jamie, Adam, Tori Vallejo, Grant, and Carrie, what they got into as a kid to be, really, you know, fun to watch and a bit educational even, which never hurt anyone. But in retrospect, I really enjoy the show for how transparent it is in regards to visual effects artists and the people that are behind the special effects in the movies that we often take so for granted. I mean, a blockbuster is chock full of millions of dollars of worth of animatronics, CGI, pyrotechnics, et cetera, et cetera. Mythbusters kind of pulled back the veil a bit on that and showed some of the people uh, who were behind many of the effects that we all know and love and gave them starring roles, which was, well, is, I should say, a really interesting thing to do. I I don't think you see that that often, especially with American TV. 
Right. So by trade uh, or by training, he was an electrical engineer uh, and he was into robotics. He worked for a long time for Lucas Films. Uh, you know, that small little corporation. Yeah. I mean, he didn't join. He joined in the third season. I uh, replaced, replaced Scotty Chapman. But uh, still, can't nothing can be taken away. He added tremendously to the show. Uh, there were times when it seemed like he and one other may have been taking over the show. That's how involved. It seemed like Jamie and uh, Adam. Adam, thank you. Jamie and Adam. It seemed like at some point their roles had gotten slightly reduced, and it was more about these guys, Grant and the others. Um, and then maybe someone noticed that. I don't know. And Adam and Jamie sort of made a little bit of a comeback, but not to the full extent when the, as, as when the show started. Uh, I remember even as a child, I initially expected to just want to get to the Adam and Jamie sections, but the, the B story, I suppose you could call it, was always really enthralling to me. And I think that um, the, the producers of the show did a good job of giving both sides equally interesting tasks to do for the episodes. And uh, everyone on the show did a great job of bringing personality to the already really interesting premise of the show, including Grit Imahara. So it is with a heavy heart, as heavy heart as I said, that uh, we sadly say goodbye to him at such a young age. Well, all right. Is there any good news? Yeah. So Tenet, as we reported on last week, we have a we have a bit of update on. We have a bit of an update on. Warner Brothers has finally reassigned it with a release date that is not too far off from its previously expected date. Now, Tenet will release in the UK and a plethora of other countries on August 27th, but will appear in American theaters on September 2nd. However, Mulan has now been pushed off the calendar without a rescheduling date, and it doesn't look like it's coming to Disney Plus anytime soon. So while theaters are going to be having Nolan's blockbuster coming to revitalize the industry, it seems that dreams of having both summer blockbusters is off the table for now. But it's still good that theaters are going to be able to come back with a little bit of a swing, at least, because Nolan is definitely going to drive in whatever audiences are going to be willing to go, since his films always do incredibly well. So does this mean we're going to have kindergartners and, and elementary school kids marching in the streets because Mulan has been pushed aside? <laughs> um, possibly, but I'm sure Disney won't go too long without announcing uh, another release date for the highly anticipated live action remake. Uh, it doesn't look like it's coming to Disney plus though. So I don't think that they're going to avoid releasing it in cinemas, but with everything being so uncertain, who knows when it will actually come out in other news, this time television related, the Ellen DeGeneres show is under some scrutiny as of late. The show's production company, telepictures is now looking into the working conditions behind the show. There are allegations of the show having very poor communication a very poor and inaccurate communication about how the crew would be compensated for losing time during the pandemic, and even claims that the host herself, the voice of Dory in Finding Nemo, has made some unsightly, maybe even racist comments. So, this goes to show that no matter how big you are in Hollywood, you gotta treat your crew right, or else I can come and bite you right in the ass. I don't know how much of this is actually true, if Ellen DeGeneres is as nice as she seems to be, but... If she is mistreating her employees, there should definitely be some actions taken against that because nobody deserves to get batted around in that, that way at work. 
Well, it's certainly been taken serious because they're doing an internal investigation. Yes, apparently with a third-party group that is going to interview current and prior employees that, of the show. That is correct. And then you've got, you know, employees running off to, uh, you know, other agent, other news sources talking about, you know, she's not very nice and, you know, they're going on, other, they're not on our podcast, but they're going on other podcasts uh, and so forth and, and really, uh, really, really, really berating. It, I don't know if anybody has actually said, well, I guess that's not true. Most of it has been, that I've seen, has uh, they've been complaining about the staff or about the producers, rather, mm. uh, the way they treat the staff. I don't know. I've only seen a few things uh, that's allegedly Ellen herself has done. Now, you know, there's two sides to every story. Of course. And with just allegations, we don't want to just go and, you know, jump down anyone's throat and just claim that we know the facts. But that's just making a general statement, no matter how big your ego is, you know, you got to you got to treat the small people right, because we're the people that actually make the shows possible. Well, they're trying it in the court of public opinion. So, you know, with the way things are right now, uh, whether or not it's all true or, uh, you know, or a little bit true or maybe true, uh, they could just get dropped. Yeah. I, I mean, I doubt Ellen herself would really face much scrutiny past what she already has since, you know, she's essentially a household. Well, she is a household name at this point, but I think it just goes to show that any slights against your workers, no matter how small, can come back and resurface. So, you know, just treat just treat your environment with respect and you will have respect treated back onto you. So all this stuff going on with sports, more and more professional players are turning up with, uh, you know, testing positive for COVID. And uh, I don't I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, it's sort of it seems like. Oh, uh, you know, so far, anyway, hockey and basketball so far have been spared. But Major League Baseball looks like it's uh, getting pretty bad. And then, yeah, not great. I mean, the NFL really hasn't even started yet. And there's players saying, yeah, we're not playing. Uh, who can blame them? I, I certainly can't. I don't blame it at all. So they're going to someone's going to have to figure out how to draw people back into sports. Uh, quite frankly, I don't care to watch them right now. I, there's there's more important things going on. I'm not particularly a big sports fan myself, but I would love to see the industry staying healthy, you know, so people can have their jobs and whatnot. In terms of what companies are doing to counteract this sort of uh, dampening of the current seasons, NBC Universal has been trying to encourage more companies to begin investing in sports advertising in order to restart America's sports entertainment industry. As, um, as with all aspects of entertainment at the moment, the televised sport industry has faced major setbacks due to COVID-19. And in order to kind of bring back a, a resurgence in not only the shows, but encourage, you know, maybe giving players a bigger salary to kind of use as, as hazard pay, they're not only encouraging more companies to come on board, but also companies that would previously maybe not have purchased ads for specific sports, maybe newer brands coming into golf or NASCAR, more niche sports that would be in more danger of 
having some sort of economic collapse during this time. Because I'm sure that no matter what happens, you know, we'll still have the American quintessential sports of football, baseball, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for NASCAR and golf and smaller sports, they're the real ones that are in jeopardy at a time like this. I don't know. I think I think uh, pretty much all of them. I think there's a certain amount of uh, sport fa- sports fans that have been railing against some of the, I guess, uh, changes in the games and changes in the rules and, you know, whatever it may be. They were already being uh, turn, turn, or started turning away from participating in the watching of sports. Uh, I, I think Major League Baseball for a long time has been teetering on the edge. Hockey has never really come back from it was probably the last NHL strike. I don't uh, I don't think it's made it back to where it once was. So, you know, being uh, being sports fans that are already unhappy with whatever sport they prefer, uh, you know, this COVID thing, it could it really could damage the viewership of all the major sports. Well, according to some polls that were taken by NBC Universal, it seems that most people are very eager to see sports coming back online, and even some people going as far to say that they don't feel like themselves without having live sports to watch. And there are some people out there that, you know, there are large amounts of people out there that really rely on these sports as not only pastimes, but social events and et cetera, et cetera, which, as we know, are currently being put on hold, so... I'm f- I'm right there with you, random uh, random census taker. That everything is making me feel a bit unlike myself as well. Yeah, I don't think that has anything to do with sports. I think it has to do with the the the, the situation that the whole world is in. Uh, nothing is the same. Yeah, well, we're in the new normal, which I know is your favorite phrase. <laughs> yeah. In terms of how another industry is attempting to stay afloat, AMC has signed a deal with Universal Studios that will allow for the studio's films to go to premium video on-demand services after only three weekends of theater exclusivity. Take that, Tom Three weekends. (laughs) (laughs) This is unheard of, but as we are continually seeing, the virus is forcing those from all walks of life to get creative in numerous ways. And after the success of Trolls World Tour, which made $100 solely in video streaming sales, it seems that companies are becoming more comfortable with the idea. Now, I imagine without Trolls breaking the mold by making that amount of money from skipping theaters altogether, I guarantee most major companies wouldn't even entertain such a concept. But it seems that with the access that modern media and technology gives us, this might not be as crippling as some people are fearing. And even uh, AMC is even going to get a segment of the profits that come from the streaming services after the 17-day period, which I'm glad to hear because otherwise our theaters would just be left in the dust. Well, I, I think you have to wonder, what does this do for residuals, for the writers and whoever else is on the, you know, the, the, the A-list of getting residual pay for movies that are released typically – in theaters first, and then after they made a run, then they go to video on demand. Yeah, I mean, apparently since Trolls did well, it could it could be emblematic of the fact that those people would still get as much as they would normally, but 
it's it's tough to say. I, I personally think that their sales won't be as affected. I think a lot of people who want to see movies will pay for them, you know, for their private streaming services, won't have a problem with that. It's mostly a fact that we're seeing the theaters losing a large chunk of their profit. And also our culture, our film culture is being disrupted because after the pandemic is over and a vaccine has been administered and we can go and start socializing again, is this trend going to continue? Are theaters going to start releasing films onto premium video services after only three weeks? Or do you think it's going to regress? And if so, are people going to accept that? Because there are several, uh, not several, there are a lot of people who enjoy watching films in the comfort of their own home, especially with modern technology bringing such beautiful images to your living room. But you still can't match the scale of going to the theater and seeing it on the big screen. No, I, I agree. And I, I like theater culture a lot. So I really hope that it isn't as impacted. I hope that we go back to the way things used to be with films exclusively being in theaters, because I think that's a special experience um, not to try to like gatekeep and say, oh, it's not a real film unless it goes into a theater, but it's enjoyable. And I would hate to see that compromise because of the ease of access that home streaming allows. Well, I mean, as you probably have uh, seen on the news and newspapers and what have you, the the uh, the drive-in theater is making a huge comeback. Now, if they would release a good movie, I mean, these pop-up drive-in theaters are showing Grease. I mean, yeah, that was a great movie for its time. But I think someone like AMC and Universal and whoever should be exploring getting some drive-ins up and running with some current hits or or really mm. you know new releases because i think i think that's the only thing that's gonna if, if they go all video on demand and forget about big screen forget about the theater i don't see it coming back for many many years the way it used to be because people are going to get used to being at home but if you can at least show them the difference and put on put up a, a decent drive-in theater right and sort of bring, you know, there's a lot of, lot of, well, I don't know, drive-in theaters, there's so few, I don't know if you'd ever been to a drive-in theater. I, I have, actually. Um, th- I think a problem that those, those companies would have with drive-in theaters is that they're a lot cheaper because it's by car, and that's their kind of industry, uh, what's what I'm looking for here? That's like their industry modus operandi. Is that, you know, you, you go and you pay 20 bucks for a car's worth of people and you watch a film. And that's why the films are typically throwbacks like Grease or Evil Dead or Jaws or what have you. But I think that they could see some success by trying to charge premium prices, maybe a headcount for drive-ins if major industries, you know, major industry uh, companies want to do that with new releases. I'm sure they have their reasons not to. Uh, in terms of people not wanting to go back to the theater... Th- this has come to mind with a lot of aspects of COVID life because things like car delivery for, for Target, right, and retail stores and grocery stores, are they going to stop doing that after the pandemic has, has been, you know, after the pandemic's over? Because I'm sure a lot of people are really enjoying that accessibility. So are these things just going to become common aspects of our culture or are we going to kind of throw them away once like shed them once we are able to resume normal life? Well, you know, it's sort of like, all right, so take a look back when uh, all these Internet sites were popping up where you could shop online. Yeah. I mean, we know the big one, Um, but even the big one 
has now decided, oh, in order to get this tie-in of our brand, we need brick and mortar. So they've, you know, went out and, and, and invested in a store everyone knows about. And then they're also doing things with other stores, other corporate stores um, that aren't related, where you can bring your your package to return it, or you can use it as a drop site to go pick it up if you don't want it delivered to your door. So this 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 whole thing about the movies, uh, I'm sorry, the whole thing about the uh, uh, delivery services from you know Target and whatever. Uh, at some point, I think that probably will fade away. Maybe not entirely, but it's certainly not going to be like it is right now when you can go back to the store. I mean, I'd much rather go to the store most of the time and pick up the stuff myself. I mean, how do you trust somebody to pick out your produce? No, your meat. Or your meat or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If they're, if they're delivering uh, cleaning products, uh, yeah, okay. But I don't know. I I think I think some of that will fade away and I think you know when people are, are going to be looking for most reasons and maybe this maybe this is will help the theaters if they're still around that people are going to return to the days of nostalgia for them. Man, I, I hope so cuz I don't want to see theaters going anytime soon. Well, you know, they the movie theaters do face uh a threat from COVID-19 without new movies. I mean, even if the theaters open, we're going to run out of movies to put in the theaters. So it's not just, you know, uh, a one a one problem issue. You know, the problem of getting people to go to the theater and feeling safe. Well, okay. Well, now you need to put something on the screen that people make people want to come to the movies, come to the theaters. So it's kind of a double edged sword, or not even a double edged sword. It's kind of a, I guess, a paradox. It's a buzzsaw. It's got it's got blades on all sides. Yeah. Well, in t- well limited series news, rather than uh, feature film, there's an HBO limited series being produced by Adam McKay based on the book The First Shot, which would chronicle the political atmosphere of the race for the coronavirus vaccine. Now, this is interesting because I don't want this, <laughs> to be frank. I don't want to see a slew of films and television shows about the virus. We are all living this grueling process at the moment. We're seeing the movie unfold before our eyes every friggin' day. And I want a little bit of an escape from it. You know, I don't want to be sitting there with a vaccine watching an HBO series about what we just lived through six months ago. I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I feel like that's way too early to be capitalizing on the, the pandemic. I don't think I don't think it would be successful. I agree. Um, what's the movie that came out a couple of years ago that that predicted this pandemic, or not this one, but a major pandemic? Now I can't think of the name. Oh, I don't know. Actually. I can't think of the name of the movie, but that was uh, at the time that was the escape because we didn't have a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to. Like we we are living coronavirus politics and tragedies and inconveniences every day of our lives and we have been for the past four months now five months so (laughs) yes i i'm all set on uh reliving that for probably another five years and then maybe come talk to me about some adaptation into a film about 
coronavirus or something. But even then, I feel like that's kind of hokey. Well, so here's how ironic it is. (laughs) We're living in a pandemic. And back in 2016, the name of the movie was Pandemic. (laughs) I've never heard of this film. So uh, a a New York doctor travels with her team to Los Angeles to find survivors of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, It was directed by John uh, Suits. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, Written by Dustin Benson. Let's see. Uh, Rachel Nicholas, Alfie Allen, Missy Pyle. uh, Doesn't seem to be any big names in it, but, you know, then it was probably okay to go see this. (laughs) This fictitious movie. We we had the veil of fiction to protect us. And now we probably don't want to be watching things about the pandemic other than the news i don't even want to watch the news about the pandemic yeah that's fair i'm certainly not going to pay to view a movie or a series on the pandemic and to clarify i'm not trying to throw shade at hbo or adam mckay or anyone that would work on the show i just think that it's an it's it's not the best direction to go with media right now i think that there's anything else that would be preferable to fixate on because we are all, especially in this age of information, we are all constantly drowning in news about COVID. We don't really need more information on it than we, more than we already have, at least. In more upbeat news, let's go to Scott Gregory's interview to find out about how working on the first union gig in Massachusetts went. Stay tuned. This interview segment is brought to you by Vitamin One. While riding in a Black Hawk helicopter from Baghdad to Talafar, northern Iraq, with the ground temperatures hovering at around 140 degrees Fahrenheit, a former Special Forces soldier began to envision a drink that could hydrate properly in the heat or cold and still taste good without sugar. With the help of doctors and scientists, Vitamin One was created with good health in mind, which is why it only contains 5 calories. From soldiers on the front line, athletes always on the go, or kids in your backyard, Vitamin One is a dependable way to keep everyone healthy and hydrated. Ask your grocery store to carry Vitamin One, and if they don't, then move! To learn more about staying hydrated, go to www.drinkvitaminone.com. Scott Gregory is a Boston-based producer who, along with her own Jeff Hamill, is attempting to revive the local industry. He has recently worked alongside Jeff on a commercial in the Boston area and had to solve a slew of new problems attached to our grueling COVID context. Mr. Gregory, thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm curious, what first came to mind when you got the call to produce your first job during the pandemic? Um, How can I let this call go to voicemail? Is it too late? (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's no different than any other time good point good point um no i mean i think that it it was i didn't really know that it was going to happen i didn't really believe that it was uh actually gonna move forward i think i had a couple of calls that were similar where i thought okay here we go we're gonna get back into it and then they both had fizzled away and and this one kept um staying on track which was surprising (laughs) even up to the day we shot i was like is this gonna just go away but it didn't it didn't i think we uh we did the first on location job in massachusetts um first union job at least in massachusetts 
Wow, that's really interesting. Um, but we even did it successfully. So there. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the footage yet. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> arguable, but but the client was happy. Nobody ended up getting ill, and um, and we stayed on budget. So I'll call that a success. I think what amazed me is that we actually did something before Georgia and L.A. I mean, that we know of. I mean, there might be small projects going on in Georgia, but there's certainly no episodic. There's no commercial at any, you know, full-time scale. So that kind of surprised me. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard of some smaller jobs in studios happening, um, but nothing on location for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd known of, of some some work, I guess, happening in California too. But then I'd heard um, another client that um, had a whole bunch of shoots that were just shut down just, just before, or actually even during um, our last shoot, um, just shut down um, a whole bunch of different work. So yeah, we're, we're lucky to live where we live and have been able to get through it, I guess. So what was the date for the, the job? The, the, the starting, what was this first day of shooting? Pre-light was the 13th of July. Right. Two weeks ago. Wow. So I wonder if, I mean, so I know that Jeff Dan, one of our friends down in Georgia, hasn't done something yet, but I wonder if they've had any union gigs there. Do do we know that for sure or? I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll have to look into that. But yeah, I mean, the 13th of July is definitely um, a bit early. However, it was for commercial. So it's not like, you know, episodic and films picking back up. But still, it's great to see that the industry is starting to get back on its feet, even if it's just a little. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was hoping that, um, you know, just because we're doing so well as far as COVID here, that maybe it would help boost some of the production work in the area. You know, um, if areas like, you know, Atlanta and California aren't able to, to work right now, well, we are, or at least showing that we can. But um, it's starting to pick up. So it's still slow. Now, in terms of COVID, what or whom did you turn to for advice regarding COVID safety for the job? Oh, man. Um, I went everywhere I could, really. So, um, you know, I talked to doctors uh, in particular. I, I, I mean, I spoke to several doctors. I, um, I went to Health and Human Services and did their you know, COVID coordination, uh, course. Um, I, uh, went to every, you know, site that I could as far as uh, IATSE or, you know, um, clients, everybody that has their own COVID, uh, plan and read through all of them. I mean, I've been, you know, compiling just lists of them actually both. We've been doing that together to some degree, Jeff, right? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, just compiling it over time and, and kind of seeing what the client wanted to do and what would make the most sense for a project. What I found was interesting uh, was that, well, I don't know about as soon as you heard about the job, but at some point early on, you contacted me and asked me how I felt about working on a job on location during the pandemic. And it's funny because I just talked to one of my other crew members and his opinion was, look, it's not going away. It's here to stay. So we have to learn to deal with it uh, or we got to hide in our houses. So that was pretty much my attitude. Um, I think my comment to you was, 
you know, as of the day that we spoke about it the first time, I said, you know, as of this day, because the numbers are looking pretty good, if it stays like this, you know, I'm definitely in. Um, and it pretty, it actually got better. The numbers got better. Right. Yeah. I think when we were, when we talked, when we had that discussion, it, it, it was still kind of bleak, right? <laughs> yeah. We were both under the, uh, under the impression that this isn't going to happen. Like this is going to just get canceled. We're going to go through all this and then it's going to go away. But so I, I, I was almost as surprised as you when I showed up on location and it was actually happening. <laughs> right. I know. I still wasn't sure it was still happening. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I did that to, I called a bunch of people just to see, you know, is it going to be a difficult to find crew to, to do the job? Is our people scared or, or are they, you know, I don't, I have a different, uh, viewpoint my wife is actually an infectious disease physician so so i've been rather inundated with uh with covid from the very beginning and um and i think that uh you know it's hard to we're all so isolated right now that it's hard to know what everybody's feeling um i know everybody wanted to get back to work everybody that i spoke to really wanted to get back to work but we have to figure out a way to do it safely right absolutely so you know, with all that being said, when it came to choosing a crew, what was your number one consideration? Um, I mean, for this particular job, it was trying to get, I mean, it's the same people. I try to get the same people that I know, I know, know this client in particular. So, um, I did speak to everybody individually and just have that discussion of, you know, do you feel safe? Are you in a you know, are your, is your family or are you feeling like you're comfortable taking any risk? Because let's be honest, like there is a little bit of a, more of a risk if you're going to go out in the world. Right. So, um, I don't think there's any more than going to the, the grocery store, but, um, but there is more of a risk and, and I don't know what everybody's tolerance is right now. So, well, I think the risk comes down to a couple of things. One, what your home situation's like. Are you living with someone that's more susceptible? I know one of, one of the guys I, we had on the crew originally backed out um, just because his living condition, his, his uh, longtime girlfriend is more susceptible uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, I guess he probably would have done it if he'd known ahead of time that there was going to be testing done, but you know, that's a choice everybody has to make. And my, my real big issue with any of this going to the grocery store, working, whatever the case may be, is this whole, this, this term personal responsibility, because that's a sliding scale. Uh, I, I, it's very rare to find anybody that's wearing the right mask, wearing it properly, uh, not touching it throughout whatever time frame you know you're around or near this person uh it's just amazing to me so th th those are the kind of the, the concerns i had more than uh you know the the actual job so was it surprising to you that the produ production company requested that every crew member get covid tested and pay for it um, well, that was my request. Um, so it was more, um, you know, I'm trying to come up with a plan on how to make everybody safe. And um, for the most part, I could come up with a pretty decent plan, I thought. Um, but there were a couple things I can never change. One of them being that our talent um, would be unmasked. Um, and, and 
For this particular job, we had some talent coming from a high-risk state as well, originally, and you know it was just a, it was a, a puzzle that I could not make work. You know, so I couldn't have two people on camera at the same time, even with movie magic. Uh, you know, uh, trying to squeeze them together and really feel like I'm making everybody safe. And ultimately, thankfully, they uh, they just cut um, the other actor so we ended up with just one and i felt like we could actually make them safe i mean i feel like if we if, if doctors are able to take care of patients then we should be able to make a commercial you know well that that may be true except you know they have different ppe they have the papas and hopefully uh if it's if it's a covid patient a negative pressure room things like that but no you're right uh you know you know we've, we've said this for years although it has changed a little bit we're not saving lives but we kind of are now. Yeah, I didn't like that. I did not feel, I don't like that responsibility at all. I really didn't. Um, and it, it's, I mean, honestly, it's, it felt heavy. It felt way too heavy. I did not enjoy that. Yeah, I've always been on the standpoint of I would, I could never do a medical profession job or anything like that. And uh, I could understand that uncomfortability with all of a sudden you have people's lives in your hands. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, take if you it think seriously, it, very seriously. So yeah. uh, it was stressful. I think it's the first time in my career where we're actually, you know, the reason the, the, where that saying came from before this was, you know, when you get yellows and screamers, you know, about you know getting the shot or whatever the case may be. I mean, that was always my rule. Um, you know, back in '09 when I did the second season of Time Warp, the first question the DP asked me when I met him was, "What do you, you know?" what are your rules or, or tell me something about yourself. And I said, I got one rule. You start yelling, I walk away. You stop yelling. Maybe I come back. Maybe I don't. And that's pretty much the way I, you know, and, unless, you know, someone's going to knock a big light over or get electrocuted or, you know, something like that. There's no reason to yell. Now there's still no reason to yell, but we are saving lives, mainly our own and, you know, hopefully members of the crew. And, and that is a big burden. Um, for somebody to take on and and i gotta i've gotta applaud and hand it to you for requesting that every crew member gets tested and getting them to pay pay for it that was uh that was huge i don't know i haven't heard of anybody else doing that yet maybe you set the standard i think that it'll it'll happen um and again it was really just to you know appease the person who wasn't going to be wearing a mask and you know, for that person, that person's taking on a big risk too. So they're coming in and they're not able to wear a, a shield. They're not able to wear a mask. They're not able to, you know, they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position. So um, at least they could know that within the next, the last couple of days, everybody had a test that was negative. I think that helped me feel better about the job, but, you know, <clears throat> still didn't mean that we were a hundred percent in the clear. And, you know, the tests are fallible. So, um, you know, we got to keep that in mind and, and still continue doing all the other protocols, I think. In regards to the talent, so there was one person that was being shot and they didn't wear a mask. Uh, were they subjugated to a kind of quarantined area of the set away from the rest of the crew when they weren't being filmed? And how did interactions with the talent go how was makeup applied and things like that <laughs> these are good questions um <laughs> makeup we just did from 10 feet away we just threw it at him um no i think the uh 
Yeah, it's funny because I was prepared for it and had um, shield. So, so we did a couple things. I had um, an area of the house we were shooting in, on location in a house, and I just made actually the whole second floor. Nobody was allowed to enter. Um, it was specifically just for talent. And so, um, you know, we even tried to use Plexi to make a, 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 a human fish tank um, for our talent. So we, we basically, I mean, two eight foot, four foot by eight foot uh, sheets of plexiglass that we, we put the talent behind. Um, so, you know, did it help? I don't know. <laughs> Does it help when you're at the convenience store? I'm not sure, but I think it, it helped. Makes you feel better. Yeah, we, we were trying. Um, so um, as far as makeup, um, yeah, we, we ended up, actually having a makeup person on set, but they, they just, um, did a, a, a FaceTime call and guided, uh, a friend of the talents through that, that they'd been quarantining with, uh, to, to apply the makeup. So, so yeah, they, we went to that extra step of, uh, having a novice guided by a professional do that. That's wow. yeah. That's kind of crazy, <laughs> but it worked. It actually worked. I think it, we're lucky that uh, it ended up being a man, um, so it worked out pretty well in this case. In terms of getting the location, was it more, I mean, I imagine it was more difficult than normal to rent out a house. How, how was that process? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a challenge for sure. I think that the homeowners are super uh, nervous um, and, uh, you know, had to go through... Um, many extra steps there. So I had to assure them like we didn't go into, you know, normally when we have a location, we're able to go wherever we want. We, we, we get the keys and we sort of say, we will make the house back to the way you left it when we're done. But in the meantime, we have access to, to use whatever portion of it we'd like. And I had to make a deal that I would not do that. I wouldn't, um, you know, go in their, their living quarters and we wouldn't, you know, we'd leave a couple bathrooms untouched. And then afterwards we'd have a, uh, a cleaning crew that had medical grade, uh, cleaning facilities available to them to clean the, the entire house. And we put them up in a hotel, um, for the duration. So yeah, it was a challenge though, finding a house, finding somebody that was, you know, had the ability or was comfortable enough to stay in a hotel for that matter. Well, I think what the difference was, I mean, we shot at that location before pre-COVID, which wasn't any big deal. I mean, I mean, not from a, a pandemic point of view anyway. I mean, I, I don't know what you dealt with the first time, you know, that you had to meet these people and tell them that we're going to bring, you know, 20 people into your house and, you know, we're going to knock out walls and we're going to screw things to the ceiling and whatever else. The, you know, All right. So we won't. But yeah, but that's what, you know. That's what they envision, and I don't blame them. And then typically when you talk to somebody about doing a shoot, they think you're going to have a, you know, it's like a news style. You're going to come in with a camera guy and an audio guy and maybe a light on the camera. When then you come in with an 18K in the backyard and an M40 and then three or four lights inside. And, and that's downsized from what, as you know, we typically do on that particular job with those particular people. Uh, so I, I imagine even though we've been there before and they've experienced, had experienced the crew essentially almost the same crew in fact being there um still must have been hard for them to wrap their head around that wait a minute you want to let me get this straight you want to bring all right you don't want to bring 20 people and you want to bring 
10 people into my house or whatever the, you know, during a pandemic, I, I just can't imagine that was an easy sell. Um, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't. I think there were a lot of homes that we had looked at that we ultimately couldn't use because people weren't comfortable with it at all. Um, this particular house, I was surprised. You know, I, I said we were looking to, to move forward with the project and they were they were game. I will say, though, that when we got closer, um, you know, they, they were definitely nervous about the whole thing. They were... Um, they had been quarantining really hardcore and, you know, had lots and lots of questions about how we were going to go through the process of keeping them safe and their house COVID free after we were gone. So, you know, it, it's a challenge all the way across the board. I think that we, in case they had to use the house again and, and for our cruise safety, I had production go around the house three times a day and, wipe down every outdoor and indoor, uh, knob, you know, um, so any of the doors had been at least, you know, virus free three times a day. If, if there was the high, ever the high touch surfaces, it all touched. Yeah. And, and countertops as well. So we went through and we, we did that just in case they came by cause they had said, Oh, and I may need to go grab X, Y, or Z from my house. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a challenge, but I think we, we got through it, you know, they were, they were nervous, but we made it work. Now, without disclosing any, you know, any amount that was exchanged for the use of the house, was there a pandemic price tag? I mean, was it much different than pre COVID as far as what they wanted for money? And I don't know did, if we've put them up in the, if you guys have put them up in the hotel in the past or not, but everything else being equal, was there a pandemic price tag? Yeah, I thought there would be for this this client. This um, no, there wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it was the same. I will. They did make more money because we extended the whole process. So another thing that actually this client, you know, was gracious enough to do was I thought um, the best way to keep everybody safe was to have the uh, uh, you know a limited amount of people actually in the house at any given time. So. We had a separate day for art to prep the house. We had uh, another day to come in and do a pre-light, um, had everybody staggered as they came in to do that pre-light and then um, had our shoot day and then another wrap day. So, so we didn't have every crew member, you know, on top of each other inside uh, for four straight days. We, we tried to elongate the whole process. Well, for the record, I tried to stay outside. <laughs> you know, the, I, I don't know. I, I think that that was the one thing that I, I realized was kind of a failing was that it was really easy for everybody to go back to working the way they normally do. It's just what you, what you know, and, and it's just, it's easy to just jump into old habits. And, you know, in order to keep the crew small, I didn't have an AD and I feel like that was a mistake. I, I really needed to have an AD to kind of just remind everybody gently to like, you know, that this is not normal. I, I think you and coordinator, the coordinator, uh, did a good job in that, you know, a couple of times I had exited through the entrance only door. You had to corral I was, them. I was, I was gently reminded to try to keep the traffic one mm -hmm. way. Um, I, I think what I had, you know, one of the lessons I learned, I mean, it's, you don't really think about this 
uh, in, in previous jobs. I mean, I didn't put the lights really in any different location than last time. It's just that we didn't need to enter and exit through different doors. So trying to crawl over the stands to get to the exit, um, you know, made it a little difficult. But getting back to the point, I think that you guys did a, a good job. And I think, you know, the reminding people of enter and exiting and the flow of traffic. And, you know, if you're inside, you have the KN95 when when there's talent you know, on the, on the set, that type of thing. I, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a great effort. Now, speaking of the KN95, as all civilians can relate, it's been pretty difficult to get cleaning products, even things like disinfectant wipes or good masks and all that. So when you found yourself five months into the pandemic, trying to get PPE together for a job, did you have any snags? For getting um, yeah, PPE absolutely. for all the personnel, was, uh, or did it go It was a challenge. Smoothly? I did find a, a training company actually in Rhode Island that I was able to get most of our PPE from. So we were able to get the KN95s, um, face shields, gloves, things like that, and some hand sanitizer. But man, it was uh, cleaning, you know, getting Clorox, obviously impossible. You know, I would actually go yeah. get get different you know, alcohol or, um, based wipes at different, you know, Walgreens, I'd get two at a time. It was, it was a yeah. huge pain in the butt, to be honest. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I'd sort of not been paying that much attention to it. And, um, yeah, when push came to shove, it was, it was hard to find all that stuff. Even the plexiglass that may or may not have been useful. I, I, I just grabbed a, a sheet of it at one point when I was out and about. And then on my way, um, from leaving the, the, you know, the, the box store, I, I'm listening to the radio and they're talking about how there's a huge shortage of plexiglass. <laughs> like literally there's a 10 minute, uh, radio show on how there's no plexi to be found. And, you know, all of the, the, the storage is getting depleted. And I mean, they're talking to suppliers as, as long and I'm like, Oh crap, I should have gotten, I should have gotten more, but I was able to find it. I mean, so yeah, a lot of that stuff is, is a challenge. So yeah, I, I got more than I needed and hopefully I have some from my next job. If I may ask, if you were to put a percentage on it, how much more expensive was the budget with all of the COVID preparation stuff in mind for the shoot? Um, man, I haven't actually redlined that out quite yet, and I actually intend to. But, I mean, roughly, it's they spent a good you know, 25 grand, I would say above just because it really, this would have been a two day job max. There's no way it would have been four days. Granted that right. being said, I would have also had more crew. So we tried to do, you know, do with, with less people. We, we just wanted to keep it as small as possible, but, but I mean, you know, just testing alone is, is an extra $3,000 and, um, you know, all the PPE is surprisingly more expensive than, than I would have thought. And, um, yeah, you know, extra days in a location and extra days to, to crew, it all adds up pretty significantly. I, I, I don't, that's a rough guess, but, um, they definitely paid a lot for it. So I'm uh, thankful to have a good client willing to pay that price. I mean, the PPE has become such a commodity that it, uh, I was, informed that some of it 
has gone been gone been going missing from medical locations hospitals um i know there's an or not too far from here that had no disinfectant wipes of any kind available because it was all stolen and i know prior to this yeah and i know i know prior to this that there were a lot of n95 masks that disappeared and so there's there's certain hospitals where the medical staff are issued what well, was four then i went to eight now it's to, now six n95 k uh, sorry n95s after they are form uh, after they are fitted and what you do is you use those if you wear four if you work four days a week uh you get six masks so if you break one you still have a spare and then they get sent out at the end of every day to be cleaned and sterilized in a lunch bag with your name on it and returned to you so i know you know the k95 is a little different in fact i was in a box store yesterday and there was just aisles literally of stacked boxes for surgical masks now i didn't look at them to see how they compare to actual surgical masks because who knows but yeah i would imagine that's a good question uh brandon i would imagine the ppe um was a big factor locating locating it's like finding toilet paper yeah i mean i, I, don't, yeah. I think you can find masks right now but at the kn95 masks i'm not sure um i yeah i was surprised that they were i i found a, a supplier relatively quickly that was was able to to provide those for me but my wife thought there's no way you're going to find those <laughs> and i you know but i think that makes a difference too so overall what was the experience like from producer's role for making a commercial during the pandemic i mean uh sounds like there were huge adjustments in your time um you know to source this kind of stuff and figure this kind of thing out and most likely that was done off the clock yeah always is right that's the that's the way this this business works but um yeah i mean i mean part of it is is a challenge just simply uh moving forward you know I'm, i know that i'm gonna have to tackle this problem um if we're gonna work you know at all <laughs> so i think that um yeah no matter what i had that challenge ahead of me so i'm glad to have done it i think um you know, there's some some things that are really hard to uh, to come up with an answer for. You know, um, I mean, I feel like the, the the stuff that I couldn't figure out was simply like, you know, I wanted to keep the crew small, for instance, and um, you know, I didn't want to have craft services. Um, just as seemed like an extraneous uh, crew member um, at that point, and. But, but how do I keep everybody, how do I get cold drinks to everybody? <laughs> it's like a, a serious question. You know, it was like 90s every day. It was hot. And it's like, well, I if I don't touch, you know, you got to really think about how many things am I touching that everybody else is touching. Or I don't want everybody grabbing the same cooler. So I can't have everybody grabbing the same refrigerator. You know, so ultimately, I just bought everybody their own personal little lunchbox, right? <laughs> like that was my answer, was they're freezing the drinks ahead of time and putting them on a table, um, one person doing it with gloves. Like, uh, you know, just weird little things like that is a, is a pain in the butt. But it was surprisingly, amount uh, the, the amount of time I thought about just cold, stupid drinks was uh, infuriating. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, how do I do this? So I need to get, every, I, I need something cold. I can't be out just in 90 degree heat without something cold and you know 
so I think moving forward, a bigger, bigger group, I think actually having that person, I guess, makes more sense. You have a, a you know, a, a craft service person and they, they are the only ones touching the drinks that they hand it to you. I guess that makes sense. I, don't I know. have a suggestion. What's that? Ice cream truck. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Maybe you'd save a little bit on the overhead. You mean right now, of course, right? Cause I'm ready to go for ice cream. Yes, I like yes, that. Right now. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. There's lots of, I, you know, I'm sure we didn't we didn't do everything great. I think we uh, um, we could certainly improve in areas. But so well, what would you do differently on the next job, the next pandemic job, if you think you could improve in certain areas? Yeah, I mean, uh, hire a different crew. Yeah, hire start with a better <laughs> gaffer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> Look at me. Um. You mean as far as just COVID, right? I guess. Yeah. 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 Because this is a very experimental space that you had to pioneer through, right? I mean, like you never thought being a producer that you'd have to spend several hours thinking about cold drinks and here you are. So what are some things that you think you learned from doing this job that you might do differently in the next one, let's say? Um, I mean, I, I guess it depends upon how big it is. I mean, you know, I had a great plan, I think going in, like you were talking about the flow. And so I had one exit, one, one entrance, but you know, as people get into their normal work habits, some of that flow was, was wrecked by the actual work. (laughs) Like like it turns out they had to put lights right in that, that pathway. So, you know, is what it is, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what could I do better? I think like some of that, as far as not having crafty, made sense to me. I was trying to keep the cra- the crew small, but you know, people, it grew as we went a little bit more than I had wanted it to, and I think having a craft per- craft service person, I guess, would have made more sense. In the AD, right? You were saying you wish you had an AD around. Yeah, I do. So I, you know, a couple of the uh, they added you know, we added a, a COVID coordinator or a nurse to check everybody in, take their temperature, go through um, a questionnaire of, you know, any symptoms that they, they may have had. Um, and I, I don't know that that was, I mean, I think doing that, that test is, is useful, but um, you know, I, in this particular case, I was keeping everybody separate, you know, so there were people that were outside, including the nurse, and then people that were inside trying to keep that number really small. And, you know, for that position to be effective, I think it would be somebody that sort of walks around and says, hey, you know what, can you put your mask on all the way? Can you, you know, put your shield on or separate a little bit? And, um, you know, I think that's another thing that unfortunately, the AD would probably end up having to to do. And so not having an AD, I think would put us at a disadvantage there. So in a bit of lighter questions to just reflect on your industry, because I, I, I imagine you've been having your mind racked by COVID, COVID, COVID for the past couple of weeks. So give you a little bit of a break and just to talk about more of your career. What was your first position in TV and film production? Oh my gosh. Um, I was a PA um Woo! yeah very exciting um <laughs> on a uh a movie called basketball <laughs> in, in california yeah um yeah and it was terrible terrible job terrible movie um but uh yeah i had to corral um extras we had like 
hundreds of extras and we were just taking people off the street <laughs> and we had a, it was an 18 hour. I remember this shoot was like an 18 hour shoot uh, day and most of the people were just sleeping in the stadium. <laughs> it was a disaster. It was, oh, it was so terrible. But yeah, that was my first gig, if I remember correctly. So when did you know you wanted to become a producer out of all of the jobs in regards? When to you didn't get into medical school. <laughs> oh, uh, right. I still haven't figured that out. Wait, did I did I know I wanted to become a producer yet? I, I didn't, I'm not done evolving, damn it. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> this is just a step, one more step. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I just naturally fell into it, really. I I had originally liked to be more creative and I wanted to be, uh, you know, in, in front of the camera. I think, uh, I don't know. You said you were going to ask lighter questions. That's not lighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not COVID. No, I don't have a great answer why or when that happened. I think that uh, it just just did. It's sort of the the opportunities that presented um, themselves in front of me were were in that realm. Opportunist. Yeah, I also like to have my fingers in everything, and I guess I get to do that a little bit as a producer. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, I like to. Uh, I mean, that's what you have to do, right? In order to to figure out what something is going to cost, you have to be able to imagine as many scenarios um you know how everything is going to play out what you're going to need equipment personnel um you know location you name it and um yeah adding covid to the equation is lame <laughs> i don't i don't need more on my plate but yeah i think there's a there's a lot to think through and that's the whole job so every time you're presented with any kind of job you just have to start going through it piece by piece and if you don't have the answer then you go to people like jeff and say hey Give me some answers. What lights do I need? What am I going to need for this thing? And so it's having the right people as resources to, to lean on. So we're going to transfer to some email questions we got from some viewers. The first Lis is... Lis listeners. Listeners, excuse me. Yeah, viewers. I mean, there's nothing to watch right now. Please uh, tell me nobody's uh, watching this. <laughs> the unseen eyes. So... Josh from Massachusetts asks, from a production standpoint, what is going on in terms of the area and what do you think the future of episodic info production is in the short term in the Boston area? Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm probably not the best guy to answer that question. I think that I mostly do commercial work um, and the episodic and from my understanding and, and, and movies for that matter have basically just stopped for the time being. Right. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, you might have a more of an answer for me than well. I actually do because because the uh, Jeff Dan has sent me a text. Really? Uh, he said he was talking with a producer friend the other day, and the producer said once the producers signed the COVID as a as an agreement with the unions slash guilds, he thinks all the networks will be starting within a couple of weeks of that. So that's not real definitive. Uh, they're still negotiating the fine points, as he understands the sticking point right now is paid sick leave is one of the big sticking points for episodic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading that. Um, I think testing, too, from my understanding, they wanted to get testing done, and that's a whole. Yes. So testing right now uh, in Georgia, at least as of last week when I spoke to Jeff Dan um, from episode two, uh, 
he was saying that it takes five to eight days to get the results back and production wants 24 to 48 hours in order to make it usable you know to do a production so that is another sticking point for sure i know it's really it's hard that's a that, that's the issue is that you can either have a, a, a test the um what's it called the uh pcr right. test yeah the pcr which i think is a 98 percent uh yes. you know versus the rapid test uh which is 75 percent um you know so you know it, but here it was actually when i was trying to get the pcr done it was going to be they said 10 to 14 days which makes it basically useless right right so i opted for the quick test 75 percent accuracy versus you know two weeks later that nobody nobody knows what everybody's been doing in the meantime in terms of future productions since you mostly work in commercial do you think that we're going to see a steady increase of commercial gigs going on in the area or do you think it's going to be pretty sparse in the near future. So like, you know, the next three months, man, I hope it's, I hope it's picking up. It seems like it's picking up. I mean, I think that the more we show that we, we can make it happen, um, safely and effectively, the, the better we are. I think that the numbers staying down and low in all of new England is helpful for me personally. A lot of my clients, um, even though they shoot here might have certain aspects uh, of people that are in other areas that are, um, at more high risk or higher, uh, you know, COVID levels right now. So if you're from California, they had to shut everything down and work remotely if they could, you know, some people that might be producers on a, on a production, um, would just, you know, Skype in or whatever, zoom in and, um, if they could, but, but I had another client that, that pushed a job because, you know, they personally weren't going to be able to, to travel and they wanted to be there. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like, yeah, the more we show that we're successfully able to do it, <laughs> the better we'll be. But um, we need to get it uh, uh, under control in this country before everybody's going to really start wanting to get together as a big group. And that's the bottom line is that this is a collaborative profession. It just is. Like there's certain – we can try to do things remotely. We can – and we can actually amazingly get things accomplished, I think, remotely. But but there's certain things that we just need to have right there. Um, I look forward to the day I can be a stay-at-home gaffer, but I just I, I just can't light it from here. Well, I know of so, a production uh, that was trying to get, uh, they were trying to just have somebody do it themselves. They sent uh, to the, the talent a camera. They gave them instructions on how to do it. And, you know, what they got back was not usable. And I said, Great. That <laughs> means our jobs <laughs> are secure for have now. some purpose. So that's good. <laughs> so uh, Brittany from Connecticut asks, what are some aspects of producing that most people wouldn't expect? Um, most people wouldn't expect. I don't know what everybody was is expecting, so I don't know what the, how to answer that question. Um, well, maybe aspects that surprised you when you became a producer. Some, I mean, like obviously with the COVID stuff, there are a lot of new worries that you didn't have to previously deal with. But prior to COVID, what are some aspects of producing that kind of crept up on you? Like, what's the one thing where you thought, "Are you friggin' kidding me?" <laughs> that's every job. Wait, that's not fair because there's always something. Just the level of ineptitude on all of my crew members is always amazing. Like, just how could you not know? Uh, 
hey, when doesn't suck is good enough, I'm your guy. Um, man, I, you know what? That's a tough one. I think there's always something. There's some weird thing on every job that that comes up. You know, the latest job wasn't so weird, but but you had COVID, and all of a sudden there was something, right? So, you know, I've had jobs where it's I don't know, you got to find a a monkey, you know, or uh, who knows, an airplane, <laughs> you know, just, just uh, sourcing, just different things. What I, you know, there's all sorts, there's always just something new that I've got to go source. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a challenge in itself, just knowing where to go. Like when somebody says, Hey, I need a monkey. Where do you, where the heck does one person go? Like, Oh yeah, I'll go to monkeys R us. Right. Just I'll grab a monkey. Monkeys.com. Yeah. And then you find out, wait, you can't actually use monkeys. Because uh, Jane Goodall, you know, helped pass some bills. So there's only one like capuchin monkey in Florida that's working. So you got to get that particular monkey. And, you know, if he's busy on Saturday, you're screwed. So yeah, his books books are typically typically pretty pretty full. full. Yeah, right. But you can get a chinchilla, as it turns out, really easily. They're working, working chinchillas. Now, but there's always something to source. And it's always like, well, you know what? You know, I've got to go to my network and be like, have you ever... You know, have you ever made an airplane hangar? Uh, you know, do you ever know where I could find one? And and that's why you have location scouts. You have other producers to lean on. And yeah, I'd say that's that's one of. But that's also a fun aspect of it too. I think it's always fun. I think last year I had to find wolves for a little while. You know, because sure. I mean, to me, for me, the big question is how do you get compensated for that? I mean. I mean, it, it's, is it all about the money? Well, yeah, because, you know, if, if you're not getting paid for the pre-production and finding this stuff, you sort of lose interest really quick. Like, all right, well, we don't have any wolves. We'll get some cats and uh, shoot close up. I don't know. But, I mean, you got to spend, you, you have to be spending a lot of time that you can't, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it, it it's grown to this uh, over the years with texting and emails and cell phones. And, you know, you can get a text from a client or an email from a client almost any time of day looking for a res- immediate response. And it's like, well, the job for me hasn't even started yet. Um, you know, I guess to some extent you accept that. I mean, that's just the way life is, I guess. But from a producer who has to go source a monkey or wolves or whatever it might be uh is that part of usually typically part of your pre-pro uh pay if you would yeah i mean so it depends on the the job and the client but if i'm the one making a bid for instance i'll certainly put in my time um for that so i'll i'll you know I'll just have to to say, hey, you know what, maybe I'm needed for an extra three days because it's going to take me, you know, three days just to, to source all the things that you want to have happen in this. Um, so I have to think about that. Just uh, is it a huge set? Is it uh, multiple sets? And how big of a team do I need? And, you know, uh, but, you know, as well as anybody that lots of there's lots of unpaid hours that go uh, into producing or any job in production. Right. I mean, I know you do. I, I've certainly I mean, it's hard because you'll get paid sometimes for a day when you worked an hour, you know, so I guess it all works out to some degree. But that's pretty that's pretty rare. I mean, that's that is a perk, but it's it's uh, that's more rare than the other side. But, you know, I guess, again, you accept that 
when you say, yes, I'll take the job. Yeah, I guess you just have to put the brakes on at some point if you feel like it's egregious, right? If you feel like they've gone too far, then you just have to say, hey, you know what? I just FYI, I spent all week doing X and you know what? You only paid me for three days. Like this isn't going to work. Well, I think if we look back at what you said earlier, so let it go to voicemail. <laughs> Should have gone to voicemail. It's always the answer. <laughs> so for all you aspiring producers out there, just remember, sometimes you might have to find a monkey, chinchilla, or a wolf. Right. <laughs> you might. And that'll be the fun part. <laughs> In regards to aspiring producers, to wrap up this segment, what advice would you have to someone maybe around my age, maybe fresh off out of college or trying to get into the industry in, in whatever way that is aiming to be a producer? What, what advice would you have for them? Hmm. Um, why? Why did, would they aim for that? They would aim for that? That would be purposeful. Okay. Um, yes. Is this per- in this hypothetical situation? <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, generally you're, you're going to be super hyper organized. You're going to have to be the, the person that helps, um, you know, you're going to start as a PA. You're going to want to ask to be the office PA. You're going to want to be the one that, that makes everything organized and, and run smoothly that I can't imagine the job happened without you. And you're going to do that over and over again until, you know, somebody lets you be a, a coordinator and then a production manager and then a producer. And, and, you know, I think it takes time or the right opportunities. You know, it's uh, advice, I think, is just work hard and always be as available as you can possibly be for the right person. You know, if you have a client or a, um, you know, a producer that's hiring you that likes you, um, try your darndest to be available for them when you can be. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You want to make the you want to make connections. You want to keep them consistent. Yeah, I mean, as far as producing goes, I think that it's those those opportunities to to be a producer. You know, it, it has to be it has to be a client, it has to be a production uh, agency that that wants you to to do it, and they're only going to want to hire you in that role if they trust you, and they've seen you perform at a high level. So you just have to slowly make your your way through the ranks, just like anybody else. All righty, well. Thank you so much for your time, for your insights. I think you had a lot of really interesting facts about production during COVID that we haven't really gone over on the show. It's also been a pleasure to have a producer on since we've had mostly uh, gaffers, grips, and um, cameramen. So um, thank you for your time, Mr. Scott Gregory. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you for joining us today as we dive into the people behind our beloved industry. You can find our show on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd enjoyed the show, follow us on Twitter at Real Insider News or email us questions at realinsidernews at gmail.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs>